So it's great to be with you. We're in week four of our series on spiritual warfare. And so we're going to continue on today. And you'll see that the overall big idea that we've had through these weeks is that spiritual warfare involves both everyday life and otherworldly battles. And in weeks two and in weeks three, we saw the everyday life battles that we face and that we do spiritual warfare with, with the world system and with our flesh. And today we're going to be looking at the other worldly battles that we face in spiritual warfare with the devil and his demons. So somewhat we can expect that, you know, we can accept that the fact that we deal with battles with our flesh and with the world system. I mean, we face those every day. We've talked about them the last two weeks about footholds that we have to be careful of, whether they're the worldly system, things that attempt to, we accept in our mind that are false, that try to be pushed upon us by the worldly systems. And then we looked at those footholds that um, our fleshly indulgences sometimes take place and entice us with. But warfare with the devil and demons is a, maybe a little harder for some people to accept. Maybe it's a little harder to wrap your minds around it because it's not something that we face every day. It's not really something that perhaps is even part of our world. It kind of reminds me of starvation. I was doing some research and the article said that 11 individuals every minute die of starvation or malnutrition in the world. That's, that's not my world. That, that doesn't touch me. I don't see it. I don't live it but it doesn't mean that it's not part of this world. And the same is true with evil forces and spiritual forces. Just because we don't live it, just because it's not part of our world doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'll give another example that maybe is a little closer to home in the fact that we deal with this, but it really doesn't affect us that much every day, but sexual um, trafficking, sex trafficking, um, is present all around us, but it's not really, hopefully, part of our world, and yet it exists. And scripture is clear that the otherworldly, the spiritual forces are real. And demons do exist, and they didn't just disappear or become non you know, it became extinct 2,000 years ago. They're still present. I think Satan would like us to believe that they do not exist any longer and that we don't have to worry about it because that would be great because then he would keep us out of that realm and he would continue to be able to wreak havoc. Well, the truth is evil spirits may never impact you directly but they may impact somebody around you. And it may be a reality 
in their world and something that they experience. And the last thing they need is for somebody to tell them that it doesn't exist. And if they ask for help, the last thing they need to hear is, well, I don't know what to do. I'm not prepared to do spiritual warfare in this area. Well, with that in mind, let's get educated on demons and their leader. We are going to be looking at five truths about demons, and we're going to be looking at five truths about Satan. So the first thing about demons that we learn is that demons are fallen angels. And we might want to quickly go back a little before we start talking about that and just talk about angels in general. So the first thing we know about angels is that they were created. So we learn in Psalms that they were created. It says, praise him, all his angels. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. He commanded, and they were created. And then we find in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. <clears throat> and what was the purpose of angels being created in the first place? Well, they were created to worship and serve God. Hebrews 1 tells us this, that they are to worship God, and it also talks about that they are ministering spirits sent out to render service to all those that will inherit salvation. Angels have a will, and we'll be looking at that in just a second. And angels, the number of angels, is compared in Scripture to the number of stars. Revelations 5.11, John sees a vision, and he says, I see 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. I don't know what that number is, but I think the focus is that it's a lot. Hebrews 12.12 12 tells us that their number are countless. Just as the stars are countless, so are the angels. So initially we know that the angels were created to serve God, but when we get to the close of history and look in the book of Revelations, we see this picture of Michael, the archangel, with his angels fighting against the dragon, Satan, and his angels. So we know that along the way, some angels went with Satan. And that leads us to assume that. And Scripture does not give the number of fallen angels. It doesn't give the reason they went with Satan. But we do know from 2 Peter 2.4 that there were some angels that sinned and were immediately thrown into hell to await judgment. And the verse there on Jude tells us a little bit more about what their sin was. But obviously, these aren't the angels that are serving Satan now. What it does give us is a picture that there were angels that decided they were not going to serve God any longer and were going to do their own thing. So that shows that they have a will. It also gives us the opportunity to see that if this is taking place, then that means that there's probably other angels that chose to go with Satan 
when Satan was thrown out of heaven. Ephesians uh, shows us that our struggle kind of gives us a picture of now Satan's kingdom and the rank and power of those below him. So we have this picture in Ephesians that says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we see an example of these rulers in the heavenly places in the book of Daniel. This is kind of, of a great story. So Daniel has an angel that appears to him in human resemblance and touches him on his shoulder when he's having uh, kind of a vision in a deep sleep that he was put in. And the angel tells him that God had heard his requests. So Daniel had been praying for some time, no response. And so this angel touches him and says, hey, God has heard your prayers. And then this is what the angel says. He says, but for, 70, for, for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, and after that the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. A picture of, of the demons, their rankings, how it works in a different realm than we are in. So we know that demons are fallen angels. We also know that demons know the truth. They know the truth about God and they know the truth about those that serve God. Here in James it says... That you believe that God is one, well, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Do you ever question why the demons shudder? The actual word there talks about sending chills through your body. That's the result of demons realizing that God is one. I'm sure they recognize that their judgment is to come. But... They also know, the demons also know about those that serve God. And we have an example of that in Acts 16. With a certain slave girl having a spirit of divination, kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And, her, and it came out of her at that very moment. They shudder because they know the ones that serve the Lord can cast them out. They have the power to do that. And so they shudder. They know they're not safe. They know in this particular case, the individuals that owned this slave girl had a business, and they realized that that business was destroyed if, she, if that spirit was cast out of her. So demons know the truth. Demons also have limited power. They don't have all power. We see this throughout Scripture where they're restrained with what they can do. And so God, in many examples, 
There's pictures of them that they can't do everything that they would like to. They're bound in different directions and areas. So they can't do everything and anything they want. So they are not all-powerful. They're not all-knowing either. They don't know the future. They know the present. They can communicate that, but they don't know the future. And they can't be at every place at one time. And they're also limited in the sense that the greater power resides in us. And that's exciting to know, and we should realize that and recognize that. 1 John 4, 4 says, But you belong to God, my dear children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. We, as believers in Christ, have greater power than any demon. Now, we have to be real of the fact that demons do have power, especially with those that do not, are not under the authority or cover of the Lord. We have an example of that in Acts 19, where we see seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, um, were doing this, attempting to name over those who had evil spirits the name of Jesus. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them, both of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So we know that demons have some power, but their power is limited. Next, we know that every Christian can fight them. The verse here in Luke says, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us. So how do we get from 72 to all of us? What's the, what's the, how did that take place? Okay, that's good for the 72. Let the 72 do it. Just kind of leave me out of it, but you're not out of it. So how did we go from 72 to all of us? Well, that took place when Jesus, actually, the resurrected Jesus, went and talked to his 11 disciples. And the resurrected Jesus said to his disciples, what did he say to him? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I think it's really, really important that you understand this authority that you have and where it comes from. So if you don't remember anything else that I say today or any other verses that we go over, I hope you remember this. So let's just look at Ephesians for just a minute. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. They are in accordance with the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, in this age and in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head 
over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. There are two things that you've got to pull out of this. One of them is that you have a power that was the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you get that? You have the... You have the same power in you that Christ had because he was raised from the dead. The other thing you need to pull from this is that it shows that you are his body. You are the fullness of Christ. So the authority of Christ is in you. And you have the authority to fight any demon and win any battle with them. Finally, something that some people ask about demons. Demons can't possess Christians. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, He has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Other translations say that we've been sealed in the Holy Spirit. Demons cannot possess us because we're possessed by God. So here's some scriptures that really point that out. We are God's possession. We belong to Christ. We have been adopted. We are sons and daughters. We are seated with Christ. That is our position Nothing can change that position. My kid can, which was adopted, he could do anything he wants to do. Some of them I wouldn't agree with, but he's still my son. Nothing's going to change that. Nothing. So that's our position. Sometimes it's not our practice. Sometimes our practice isn't in line with our position. And that's when we struggle with those footholds and strongholds that we've been talking about. They try to attach themselves to us. They try to make claims that we belong to them, but those are all false because we belong to God. And nothing, nothing can change that. Five things to know about Satan. You still with me? <laughs> all right. So five things to uh, know about Satan. First, Satan is a fallen angel. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says, how you, are a fallen, how you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. Ezekiel says this, you were in Eden, the garden of God. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the evil that was found in you. I expelled you, O mighty guardian. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. So from these passages, we can see that Satan was a powerful angel. He had high ranking. He was majestic, but he wanted his own kingdom. 
You know, he wanted not to serve and honor God. He wanted to be served. It's not unlike the scripture in Romans that talks about those that worship creation rather than the creator. Satan wanted to be worshipped rather than to worship the creator. Obviously, he had sway. He had power because obviously he took many angels with him. Next, Satan is opposed to God's work. John 10.10 says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Why do you think his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy? It's probably just who he is. Maybe anger. Maybe revenge. Maybe misery. You know, I often wonder... Um, what the thinking of those who commit a mass shooting are. Because it's so evil. But I imagine one of the thoughts that goes through their minds is, if I'm going to die, I'm going to take people with me. Satan knows he's going to be judged. And he wants to take as many as he can with him. The desire to destroy was evident with Satan's desire to destroy Job. You remember that event? He did everything he could to destroy everything that Job had. And the goal of the reason why he did that was because he wanted Job to curse God and die. In fact, his wife told him to curse God and die probably to try to save them from the misery that they were going through. He also tried to convince Eve she wouldn't die if she listened to what he had to say. But he really wanted her to die also. He wants to destroy. He wants to oppose. He opposes the gospel message by keeping people in the dark keeping them dead in their trespasses and sins. Mark 4.15 says, And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. He wants to keep people captive. Timothy talks about his desire to keep them in his snare. Third, Satan hunts vulnerable Christians. We know 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, we know a couple things about a roaring lion. Um, one is that, I looked this up, <laughs> one is that the, the, the roar of a lion is to establish their ter territory. The enemy, Satan, wants to increase his territory. He's going to be roaring. I don't say that very well because I've had trouble with ours all my life, but I'm trying. <laughs> so the other thing about the roar is that 
it can be heard from far off. Now, I don't think that means that there's a warning so we could flee. You know, the enemy is called our accuser. And you hear that tiny voice in your head accusing you that you're no good, that you've sinned, that you don't deserve God, you don't deserve freedom. That's from the enemy. He also prowls. Who does he prowl? You know, a, a lion prowls. He's always looking for the one that's not protected. Always looking for the one that is weak, not mature. Always looking for the one that's separated, alone. If you're a Christian and you're doing it by yourself, beware. He's going to attack you. That's why the scripture tells us to be in fellowship with one another. The other thing about Satan is that he's bold. His lions are bold. Satan, can you, Satan demanded from Jesus that he sift Peter like wheat. Do you remember that? He was bold. He demanded it. And Jesus said, listen, Peter, Satan's asked for this. I prayed that your faith would be restored and that you would be an example in the future. Something similar to, to Job, but interestingly enough, when did Satan attacked Peter when he was most vulnerable, right? After Jesus died, he's all by himself. Most vulnerable moment. And he probably did it with somebody that uh, Peter wasn't even expecting. A, a girl. He roars like a prowling lion. He wants to hunt vulnerable Christians. Well, his greatest tool is deceit. John 8.44 says, Satan has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I think we pride ourselves on being astute as it relates to knowing the truth or somebody trying to scam us or get our money. I mean, we, we, we try to be you know, on, on top of things. So um, I was going to use an, an example today that you'd probably throw tomatoes at me. But because we know that Utah State's not going to win the national championship in football. Right? So that's an obvious, if somebody said that, that's like an obvious lie. Right? It, it's an at least this year, come on. At least this year it's an obvious lie. But Satan doesn't operate that way. He doesn't operate in saying that it's just an outright bold lie. You know, he, he just twists it just a little. You know, he doesn't say these walls are purple. He says they're kind of a creamish color. You know, just, just a little enough to get you thinking about it, getting you to agree with it. He deceives. 
shouldn't surprise us. 2 Corinthians 11.14 says that Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. This is where this comes into play in your life. Because often we may feel that God has told us something. We may see something that we believe God has shown us. We may hear something that we believe God has spoken. But if it doesn't line up with this, it's not God. It's that angel disguised. He's crafty. He'll even use spiritual gifts deceitfully to get us off track. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, sometimes it's true, but you got to test it. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, you know, God told me this about you. He wants to bless you. He wants to give you that motorcycle you've always wanted. Okay, great. I just got the, 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 the go-ahead for that. You always have to test it because there's always the enemy that wants to twist something and take you away. Deceit. Be careful. The only way you're not going to be deceived is to be testing it by the Word of God. The final thing that we learn about Satan is that he will face God's judgment. And I've been struggling with this point even last night of what to say and what not to say. Revelations 20.10 says, Then the devil who has, had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented, tormented day and night forever and ever. We know that. But the question I think we need to ask ourselves is how many men and how many women is he going to take with him? Look at how this chapter ends. It ends by, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. You remember our passage in 2 Peter? We got all focused on these angels that sinned, and we could ask a million questions about that. But it starts off by saying, for if God did not, which then means, okay, for, that means there's going to be a then someplace down the road here. Then the Lord knows how to keep unrighteous under judgment for the day, uh, under punishment for the day of judgment. When we started out, we looked at starvation and sex trafficking, which, by the way, I believe Satan is totally behind. And we said that they weren't really part of our world. Well, I want you to know that you are part of a world right here in Cache Valley where every minute of every day Satan is doing everything he can to add to the number, joining him in the lake of fire. And he won't stop till the day of judgment. He won't stop until 
the day of judgment. We spent a lot of time in the last four weeks looking at this verse or these verses defining what our spiritual warfare is. And today I'd just like to close by looking at the verses right after this because I think it's important. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You've been saved from death. You've been saved from captivity. You've been saved from that lake of fire. You've been saved from that enemy. And what's our response to be to that? Well, next week, we're going to learn how to stand firm against the enemy. That's next week. But our response is not just a defensive response. Our response needs to be offensive also. Yes, Satan and his demons will be defeated ultimately, and in many ways they are already defeated. But it isn't stopping them from doing all that they can to keep people in the dark. You and I, like we just heard, have been given authority to go make disciples, right? Nobody would disagree with that. But another way to say go and make disciples is to stay, is to say, stay, say we have the authority to storm the gates of hell and set captives free. That's saying the same thing. You have the authority to storm the gates of hell and set people free. That's the power you have through the authority given to you in Christ Jesus. May God open our eyes to this spiritual warfare. May we be ready to battle Satan and his demons as they cross our paths with people that we meet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, I just pray that your spirit speaks boldly and loudly to us, to our spirit. Lord, help us to receive what you've given us today. Lord, um, help us to have balance with this. Let us not go in one extreme or the other, but let us go in full authority that you have given us. And let us not um, shy away from truth. Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes, Father, to that world um, so that we may help those that are captive, so that we may help those that we were just like. We were ensnared. We were captive. We ask that you would help us to fight that battle, not only for us, but for others. In Jesus' name. Amen.